0: Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, January 27th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. You know, dumb ideas never go away, especially dumb ideas in economics, especially dumb ideas in economics that politicians find advantageous case in point, the trillion dollar coin. You've probably heard about this with another debt ceiling fight on tap. There are people out there talking about solving the problem by having the US government mint a $1 trillion coin and then just depositing that coin at the Fed. This idea came up during the last debt ceiling fight. In fact, it came up way back in 2011. It was dumb then. It's still dumb now. But hey, we can use dumb to our advantage and make ourselves smarter by using this as a teaching opportunity to delve into a little bit of economics. So we're going to dig into this trillion dollar coin thing today. Uh, But first, I reckon I ought to touch on the GDP data that came out yesterday. Now, long story short, the fourth quarter GDP print of 2.9% was a little bit better than expected, and only a slight decline from the uh, Q3 print. Now this has everybody breathlessly talking about the soft landing. In other words, the Fed's gonna be able to get out of this inflation thing without crashing the economy. It's gonna come into a nice soft landing and we're gonna be all comfy. And uh, you know there are still widespread expectations that we're gonna get a mild recession, but with this good GDP data, It might even be milder than they were thinking, and some people think it could still be avoided altogether, and I still don't. I'm sticking with my deep, protracted recession theory for the same reason I was sticking to it last week. Unlike the Fed, I'm not so much data-driven, and a better-than-expected GDP notwithstanding, I still know that the U.S. economy is built on artificially low interest rates and money printing. So, the Fed has taken away artificially low interest rates and money printing, at least to some degree. Ergo, I don't think this economy can keep on waltzing merrily along. The Fed is siphoning gasoline out of the car. At some point, the car's going to die. In fact, on an annual basis, the money supply shrank for the first time ever in 2022. The seasonally adjusted money supply in December was negative for the fifth consecutive month, came in at, $147 billion down. This was the largest monthly contraction in M2 going back to 1959. Tony, our analyst at Shift Gold, called the contraction in money supply sudden and epic, and he said the risk this poses for the markets at large cannot be overstated. Quote, most market participants anticipate a recession in 2023, but everyone has concluded it will be a mild recession. Why should it be mild? The epic fall in money supply paints a picture of what could unfold. Money supply effects work on a lag, sometimes in the range of 12 to 24 months. There is no ignoring that the market is used to loads of cheap and easy money. While stock prices are hinting at a pivot by year end, it seems to be ignoring the effects of this tight money on an over-levered economy. Something will break, and it will take everyone by surprise, especially the Fed. Their response will be cheap money. So Tony's basically saying the same thing that I've been saying. You've got this situation. You have an economy. It's built on easy money. They've taken the easy money away. Eventually, something has to crack. Something has to break. And when it does, the Fed's going to go back to the fork it knows. It's going to go back to the money printing. It's going to go back to artificially low interest rates. And inflation will be back. That's why we keep talking about stagflation, because both of these dynamics are in play. A deep, protracted recession and inflationary money printing and monetary policy. So, back to the GDP. There are some internals in the report also to be wary of. For instance, real final sales to private domestic purchasers. So this is a a data point that strips out things like trade and inventories, kind of gets down to the actual uh, economic activity that's going on between people. It was a far worse number, came in at 0.2% in Q4. So barely any growth there at all. This was the lowest print since the COVID crash. So obviously everything isn't rainbows and lollipops. Now, Tony's point about how there is a lag in money supply changes and the effects that we see in the economy, this dovetails with something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. If you been listening to the show regularly, you know that I've been saying I think the economic crash, the deep protracted recession, may not come as soon as I originally thought. So when the Fed first started raising interest rates um, and and we started getting in the 2% range, I was saying I think that something is going to crack in the economy. I go back to 2018. We saw the, the tremors in the economy then when the Fed was raising interest rates. But you know they didn't raise rates as fast in it. And I think that we are experiencing that lag that Tony mentioned. I do think that we can kind of crawl along like this for a while. But I still think that the crash is going to come. The reason that I'm thinking it's going to take a little bit longer, I'm I'm basing this on the way the 2008 financial crisis played out. So you know that the artificially low interest rates uh, that were implemented after the dot-com bust were the fuel for the housing boom and the housing bubble that was blown up that ultimately led to the housing bust and ultimately the financial crisis. So if you go back and look, the Fed actually started normalizing interest rates in 2004, Now, nobody realized there was a crisis until four years later, right? So rates peaked in June 2006. So from 2004 to 2006, they started cranking up interest rates. We saw the peak in June of 2006, that was 5.25%, so basically about where we are now. The Fed held rates there for about nine months, and then it made three small rate cuts starting in September 2007. So at this point, we're still about a year away from the poo really hitting the fan. And in hindsight, we know everything was unraveling in 2007. But at the time, if you go back and and look at the reporting and the way the mainstream was covering things, they insisted that everything was fine. Now, we knew that there were issues in the housing market, and that's why the Fed had started doing rate cuts. But by and large, everybody's like, oh, this is fine. It's confusing. It's no big deal. And with the exception of Peter Schiff, Ron Paul, a few others who were saying that a crisis was in the making, nobody was worried. And, you know, kind of like today, right? So out of curiosity, I went back and looked, and sure enough, GDP was growing all the way through 2007. In fact, it was over 2% every quarter in 2007. It wasn't until the third quarter of 2008 that the problems showed up in the GDP, now, here's something that's interesting. You know, they go back and revise GDP estimates for years. So you get, like, like this one that we first got, it's the preliminary data. And then they'll do a second revision, and then they'll do the third revision, which they call the final. But they go on after that, you know, in, in following years and continue to revise and update those GDP numbers. So the final estimate for Q1 2008 was that the economy grew by 1%. okay. First quarter, 2008, 1% growth. This was the third revision, the one they call the final. But they kept revising, and in 2008, the estimate was that the GDP for Q1 2008 was negative 2.3%. In other words, at the time, the data said growth was tepid at 1%, but the economy was still growing. That's what was being reported. That's what everything, you know, that that was the basis upon which everybody was saying everything is fine. Now we know in reality, GDP was actually deeply negative. They were reporting it at 1%, but now they're saying it was actually negative 2.3%. So we were already into the recession while everybody was saying everything was fine. And, and again, this is the first quarter of 08. We didn't really see the financial crisis start to unravel until that fall. So, you know, that's why I don't get too caught up in the data. First off, a lot of the government numbers are just made up bullshit, let's be honest. And second, they revise this stuff constantly. I mean, yeah, you have to watch the data. It's not useless. And of course, we're going to report on it, we're going to look on it, and and the data moves the markets because, you know, the, the data is very short-sighted. So, we had you know, swings in the market today because of these GDP numbers. And when they give revised numbers in a month or so, we'll see more. I mean, that's just the way it works. So it's not useless, but I would hesitate hanging my hat on every piece of government data that you get, whether it be CPI or unemployment or GDP or whatever it is. Anyway, my point is that just because the Fed has hiked to 5% and the GDP still looks fine, doesn't mean everything will be fine in a year. Doesn't mean we're going to have a soft landing. This is exactly what things looked like in 2007, minus the inflation. And of course, everything wasn't fine. So just some food for thought. I'm, you know, this hasn't changed my mind. I don't, I'm not looking at this and, and saying, oh my gosh, I must be wrong. There's not going to be a recession. I don't buy it. I go back to the fundamentals This economy needs easy money, low interest rates, money printing. If it doesn't get it, the economy is going to crash. All right, let's talk about this trillion dollar coin because, as I said, this is a good teaching opportunity. We can kind of get into a number of economic principles here as we look at uh, this debacle that some people are floating out there. Now, talked extensively about the debt ceiling issue last week. If you did not listen to last week's show, go back and listen to it. It'll give you kind of a a framework uh, about what's going on, what the debt ceiling is, why this is a problem, uh, how it's going to play out. I'm not going to rehash all of this, but suffice to say, we know how it's going to end. After months of political theater and hand wringing, Congress is going to raise the debt limit. But That just kicks the can down the road, right? Because before long, the government will run up against whatever the next debt ceiling is. And we'll have to watch another awful sequel to this awful movie. And this reveals the dirty little secret. The debt ceiling isn't the real issue. It's not the real problem. The real issue is the U.S. government has a spending problem. It spends way too much money. Most of what it spends money on is unconstitutional. I know that's a... kind of an arcane thing to talk about the constitution but you know if the if the federal government was actually limited by the powers and and roles that the constitution lays out for it we wouldn't have a spending problem at all we'd hardly know the federal government exists because the federal government refuses to abide by its limits in the constitution is why we have arguably the biggest government in history so In reality, the solution to the debt ceiling debate is simple. The federal government could stop spending so much money, or it could raise taxes, or hey, why not both? Well, because these are politically non-viable solutions. Nobody in Washington, D.C. is willing to seriously contemplate spending cuts, I say nobody. There may be a few people in the House of Representatives, you know, Rand Paul, Thomas Massey, they probably would seriously contemplate spending cuts, but most people in Washington, D.C., they're not going to hear anything about actual cuts. Now, Republicans will talk about it, but we all know that's nothing but hot air. And nobody in Washington, D.C. is willing to uh, to seriously contemplate raising taxes. I mean, sure, Democrats will happily tax the rich, but tax increases would have to go much deeper down into the poor and middle class to actually collect enough revenue to address this spending problem. So Democrats are full of hot air, too. But there are some people out there who think that they have a simple, politically viable solution, a panacea, if you will. It wouldn't require raising the debt ceiling, it wouldn't require spending cuts, and it wouldn't require raising taxes. Well, except that it would, but I'll get to that in a minute. They could at least plausibly say it wouldn't require raising taxes. Here it is. All the U.S. Treasury needs to do is mint a $1 trillion coin. Voila! Problem solved. The government could mint this coin, stamp $1 trillion on it. Deposit it, uh, deposit it at the Federal Reserve, and then it could write checks against that "quote unquote" asset. Now, that may sound a little bit like the government is just creating money out of thin air, and that's because the government would just be creating money out of thin air. But hey, it's legal. They argue, so <laughs> why not? I mean, it's kind of funny—funny, funny, sad, not funny, haha—that a lot of people pushing for this are lawyers, and I guess that explains their inability, their inability to grasp the economics of all this. But yeah, they're mostly focusing on the legality of the process and and not the economics. Now, don't get me wrong—all uh, the modern monetary theory people are on board, and a lot of Keynesians, of you know, Paul Krugman. Surprise, surprise. He he has said this is a good idea. I don't know if he's said it recently, but he has in the past. But that's not what's getting the intention of the media. They're talking about the process. So here's how it would work. This is as explained by Yale law professor Jack Balkin, who Uh, promoted the idea way back in 2011. He said, Sovereign governments such as the United States can print new money. However, there is a statutory limit to the amount of paper currency that can be in circulation at any one time. Ironically, there's no similar limit on the amount of coinage. A little-known statute gives the Secretary of the Treasury the authority to issue platinum coins in any denomination. So, some commentators have suggested that the Treasury could create two $1 trillion coins, deposit them in its account at the Federal Reserve, and write checks on the proceeds. The jumbo coin strategy works because modern central banks don't have to print bills or float debts to create new money. They just add money to their customers' checking accounts. <laughs> in other words, they create money out of thin air, right? So in effect, this is really, you know, again, in effect, no different than quantitative easing. In QE, the Federal Reserve buys bonds and it buys them with money it creates out of thin air. It literally just writes a check. So why not let Uncle Sam write checks to spend money created out of thin air too? I mean, the central bank would be Quote unquote, good for it. After all, there'd be a coin with $1 trillion stamped sitting in a vault. So the platinum coin is really just a prop, right? It it creates this illusion of legality. It makes you feel like, oh, there's an asset there. And we, you know, it's an accounting tautology. It's not like they would use $1 trillion worth of platinum because, you know, that would weigh millions of pounds. So that wouldn't be a thing. In practice, They could just write $1 trillion on a napkin with a green crayon and stick that in the vault. Or as economist Bob Murphy explained, they could sell the Fed a paperclip, which I think would be a lot more fun than the $1 trillion coin, you know, a $1 trillion paperclip. But I guess there is, you know, one legal question that they've thrown out. What if the Fed wouldn't take the coin? And what if the Supreme Court struck the scheme down on legal grounds? Now, that's a part a lot of people are worried about, not the fact that it would eventually turn us into Zimbabwe. But, you know, Americans love their legal dramas, right? So Willamette University College law professor Rowan Gray, he's another big supporter of this trillion-dollar coin, he doesn't think it would be a problem. He suggested that the government could just ignore the Supreme Court and then send troops over to the Fed and force them to take the coin. Now, this tells you a lot about big government types, doesn't it? I mean, if I suggest people should ignore the Supreme Court uh, on a ruling that they liked, you know, say some gun control ruling that they've said's is okay, uh, and I was to say that, oh, well, we should just ignore it. The same people would be accusing me of treason and yammering about how you want to undermine our democracy. Anyway, the whole thing is dumb, right? You, you do realize that, right? It's dumb. This is a monetary disaster waiting to happen. And this is where we get into the economics. This scheme would put inflation on hyperdrive. We just saw what happens when the Fed prints trillions of dollars out of thin air and injects it into the economy. The price of everything goes up. That is the definition of inflation. We've talked about this over and over. Inflation is actually the inflation of the money supply, and that causes prices generally to rise higher than they otherwise would be. The price of everything goes up. We're paying for pandemic stimulus every time we go to the grocery store, to the gas station, you know, every time we buy an egg. It's not going to be different just because the government stamps $1 trillion on a little piece of platinum. Now, I mentioned earlier that this scheme would, in fact, raise taxes, although they would claim it doesn't raise taxes. And this is how it would jack up the inflation tax even higher. That's what we're paying, the inflation tax. So wrap your heads around the fact that when you create more money, there's more dollars chasing after the same amount of goods and services, and therefore the price of everything is going to go up. That is price inflation. It is an inflation tax. When the Federal Reserve does quantitative easing, it's Creating money out of thin air. It's inflating the money supply in order to buy bonds to monetize the US debt. And that creates inflation. You're paying for that borrowing because the Fed is buying the bonds with an inflation tax. Inflation taxes are great for politicians because most people don't notice them. They're mad at the egg producers. They're mad at Putin's price hikes. They're mad at greedy corporations. They're mad at everybody but the people they should be, which are the people at the Federal Reserve that are printing the damn money, or the U.S. government, uh, who keeps borrowing and spending. So, anyway, you're dealing with smart people here, though, right? Smart. I have that in air quotes. And they're going to tell you, this is different. You know, smart people come up with some dumb stuff sometimes. But yeah, they're going to tell you that, It's different, and there's all kinds of plausible reasons that this is going to work. Now, they'll talk about the dollar being the reserve currency, and they'll show you some convincing-looking accounting tautologies, and they'll babble and spin, and suddenly you'll be thinking, hell yeah, $1 trillion coin, that's the ticket. No, it's not. Supposedly, and this is what they'll tell you, they can keep this from being inflationary by just dribbling the new money out as they need it. In other words, if if they put the trillion dollar coin in the Fed, that doesn't really change anything. It's when the government starts spending that trillions of dollars, uh, that trillion dollars into the economy. That's when you get inflation. So the, the idea is, if you do it slow enough, it's not really going to cause an inflationary po- problem. It's like you know the slow drip. And again, you go back to the fact that the the dollar is the world reserve currency, and and uh, we have the petrodollar. So a lot of people out there, pretty much everybody in the world, needs dollars, and so that gives the Fed a lot of leeway to create a lot of dollars. Uh, Side note, um, we just found out that Saudi Arabia is entertaining the idea of selling oil in uh, other currencies than the dollar. So the petrodollar yeah, could be in trouble. I'll link to that in the show notes page. But that's kind of the idea. You'll hear this idea of the dollar milkshake. And it's basically just the fact that you know the world needs dollars. So therefore, the U.S. government can create an awful lot of dollars uh, before we'd end up being like Zimbabwe. Um, so they're going to create this coin and they're going to dribble the money in and everything will be fine. This is the federal government we're talking about here. Do you really think politicians would be restrained with $1 trillion in the bank? And when they blew through that, well, they can just mint another one of those puppies, so they won't dribble. It will create an even bigger cascade of spending. This will incentivize more government spending. And keep in mind, the U.S. government is already spending money at a half a trillion dollar a month clip. You know, this is what you get when you have an entire school of economics that disconnects money from stuff. And that's the real problem here. That's the economic fundamental I really want to drive home with this little discussion. You know, the the government could create a $50 trillion coin But it can't create stuff. We've been snowed into thinking money makes the economy go, but ultimately it comes down to stuff, right? And that's why you get inflation. When you just print money, create money, print money, create money, you're not creating more stuff. You're not creating more actual wealth. The Treasury can't create stuff out of thin air. You know, Uncle Sam can't mint cars and food and clothing and commodities and oil and all of the other stuff that we need. So if you're just printing money and you're not creating more stuff, you're just going to get inflation. You're just going to get higher prices. You know, that's the fundamental. What happens when you create more money without creating more stuff? You get rising prices. That's where we are today. We are seeing this play out, but again, we have people who exercise zero self-reflection. So they're coming up with dumb ways to solve this problem that they created in the first place. Now, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has nixed the idea of the trillion dollar coin for now. But dumb ideas never die. I will not be shocked if the sociopaths in Washington, D.C. eventually try the trillion-dollar coin scheme. Because they're kicking the can down the road, they're kicking the can down the road, they raise the debt ceiling, they borrow more, they spend more. I've said this before, there's an end to this road, right? What cannot be sustained will not be sustained. So you should prepare for dumb economic ideas. You should prepare for more government spending. You should prepare for a higher debt limit. All of these things ultimately lead to the same path, devaluation of your money. One economic idea that is not dumb is owning some gold and silver, because it isn't devalued when the government Bases their money. You know, that's the whole thing with sound money. That's why we don't have gold and silver as money anymore, because they can't just print gold out of thin air. I mean, yeah, they mine gold, but it's at a pretty steady, knowable pace. They can't just fire up the printing press and and squirt a bunch of gold coins out. And that's why governments hate sound money. That's why they hate gold and silver. And it's why it's not a bad idea for you to have some in your portfolio if you want to do that. Talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist today. Call 1 888 Gold 160 or email info at shiftgold.com or go to shiftgold.com, go to the Getting Started page, and you can chat with a Precious Metal Specialist right there. They'll look at your investment goals, your portfolio, they'll discuss with you what you're trying to do and accomplish in your investing uh, strategy and they'll help you see how gold and silver can fit into that. These guys are fantastic. Talk to them today. So that is a gold wrap for this week. I'm going to go celebrate my birthday because it's my birthday. But you can go get more details on all of these stories and more and keep up with the latest precious metals news analysis throughout the week at shipgold.com slash news. And of course, if you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap at apple podcasts google podcasts on the ship gold youtube channel and other channels you'll find links to these things on the show notes page if you want to comment ask a question or wish me happy birthday you can email me at mmeharry m-m-a-h-a-r-r-e-y at shipgold.com really do appreciate the fact that you listen to the show hope you have a fantastic weekend and we'll talk again next.